once someone sent a message to their lawmakers on an issue they cared about, they're bought in and they were much more likely to then donate to the organization than if they had just been asked directly for a hard-ass solicitation. I'm Eric Wilson, Managing Partner of Startup Caucus, the home of campaign tech innovation on the right. Welcome to the Business of Politics show. On this podcast, you're joining in on a conversation with entrepreneurs, operatives, and experts who make professional politics happen. Today, we're speaking with Joe Mansour, founder and CEO of Speak4, a new advocacy platform that makes it simpler for organizations to empower their supporters to speak up for the causes they believe in. Before making the leap to entrepreneur, Joe has had a long career in digital campaigns and advocacy. In our discussion today, we talk about what led him to build Speak4, what he's learned making the switch, and the results of a new case study that we can share with you. Joe, the public affairs and issue advocacy space already has a lot of software offerings. I think it's one of the better funded piece of the sector. So I'm curious to hear from you, what was missing from those offerings that drove you to build Speak4? As a practitioner in this space, I was using a lot of the other tools out there. And I mean, I just got really frustrated with the products that were out there. I was a power user. We used it for my clients, my, my uh, you know, projects. And I would talk to these legacy vendors and I'd say, hey, this, this is broken. I can't get a response on this. This doesn't work. And I, I got the blow off time and time again. And I got frustrated enough and fed up enough because like, screw this. We can go and build a better mousetrap. And so that's what we did with Speak4. Got it. And so, you know, as you mentioned, you were on the other side of that equation before you launched Speak4. Now that you're almost two years into it, what have you learned switching roles? Everyone who told me it was going to be really easy to build a software product, they all lied to me. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know who you talked to. <laughs> it's a lot harder than it looks. I think the biggest, I mean, it, it's a, it's a different it's a different mindset, sort of being a consultant and sort of serving the needs of your of your clients versus building a product where you have to sort of devote that energy and sort of focus on that plan, you know, at a more longer term pace. Uh, and then, it, you know, I, I, I sort of think of our of our product and company as there's almost like a three legged stool between the product, the sales and the marketing, the sort of education of folks and the the customer success, the sort of support and onboarding. And, you know, as one piece of that go grows, the other pieces have to sort of keep up with it and kind of maintaining that balance is a challenge, but also exciting. Right. I think one of the things that I've always had a challenge with when working with software products is, you know, you and I being, being digital consultants going back a, a long time, we wanted everything to be just so. And it, it wanted to be a reflection of our, our best work in products and startups in particular, you're having to iterate and put stuff out there that isn't, uh, you know, you, you know what the roadmap looks like and there are going to be more features added on. How do you uh, deal with that challenge uh, mentally of knowing that, hey, I, I want this to be so much bigger than it is right now but I need it to be in the, in the marketplace as it is. Yeah, that, that's the challenge. Um, 
I kind of follow a few dictums and I talk to my team about them. The first is, you know, we have always sort of practiced the the MVP approach to, to building and getting our tool out there, the minimum viable product. And so what is the what is the core offering that we need to have for our clients and partners to be successful? And let's build that first and demonstrate, you know, utility on that piece. And then we can do a phase two and, and iterate on top of that. But being very laser focused on that. And actually, when we were in the initial phases, you know, kind of two years ago of building out our product, we had a much larger sort of set of features. And we realized that in order to build them out with the development team we had around it at the time, you know, and, and where we were, like, it was going to take us way too long to get to something that we could start to sell. And so we we actually pulled features back and pulled features back until we sort of stripped it down to just the very core offerings that we knew we had to have. And, and we used that to get up. And then we've added more features on and more features on. But I think it's being just very ruthless about what you are going to build and prioritizing that. And, and then, you know, continuing to maintain a, a ruthless focus on what are your core feature offerings so that you do not get feature bloat, which is frankly one of my biggest problems with a lot of legacy vendors in right. this space. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what's so interesting about the approach that, that you're taking compared to kind of the, the legacy vendors out there. Because I think that they, uh, you know, I don't want to single anyone out, but, and, and I'm not, but I think in general, you see software offerings in this space over indexed for what the client wants, following the client's lead on what the product should be, rather than putting forward an offering that makes an opinion of, you don't need um, a bell to ring every time someone calls Congress, but you do need this feature, right? Those kinds of decisions are hard. And sometimes you have to tell paying users know, and that's one of the disciplines of, of lean startup. It's hard. It's very hard. And it's a balance, I think, because, you know, as we look at our product roadmap, you know, we, we went into the, this year with, with a product roadmap and we, we, we iterated on top of that as we got feedback from the market. Um, but I think we've maintained discipline and I, I, I just, I feel very strongly and it's sort of, it's a philosophical point of view um, that you know, you need to bring new ideas to the marketplace. That's innovation, right? You need to bring new features, new ideas, and people aren't going to be able to tell you what they want in terms of innovation. They don't know because it's not been provided to them yet. No one, no one could sit there. I mean, it's the, you know, probably overused sort of, you know, Steve Jobs, iPhone metaphor of, you know, if you sat around waiting for someone to tell them, yeah, I want a, you know, touchscreen phone that does all of this stuff. I mean, Never would have happened. You have to sort of anticipate and, and build, you know, stuff. But the flip side is you have to be responsive. And, and I think that balance, that sort of golden mean is is where the art and the, 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 the art of all this comes into play. That's exactly right. And I also see another challenge here for, for a lot of entrepreneurs in this space and really good book that uh, I recommend to folks called Crossing the Chasm. And so when you are a startup, when you're building your minimum viable product, you're not building it for everybody. It is, it is not for mass adoption. It is for early adopters, the people who are so frustrated with the offerings out there that they will put up with some rough edges in order to get something that they like that addresses their pain points. And I, I think that's another thing. Uh, that that people don't realize that they they think that they've got to get out into the marketplace with like a completely built 
um, application and, and, and that's how it's going to be from day one. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. And, you know, we follow a, a, a similar sort of strategic approach with, with how we think about our, our audience and our market with speak for, I mean, there's a lot of folks using advocacy tech, you know, in public affairs space. And, you know, we built a really robust offering, but some folks, if they're satisfied with their legacy vendor, it's great. Continue to use them. But if you're unhappy, if you're frustrated, if you can't get your answer, your, your phone calls answers, you have bad customer service, if the integrations are broken and you need them to run a smart, effective digital campaign, you know, come talk to us. Um, and that's, there's plenty of folks out there that fit that bill that we have found and we've been talking to. So, you know, I, I just, you cannot, you cannot boil the ocean. You cannot, you cannot build something that everyone will like. That's just, I think, asking for failure. Joe, for you, what has been the biggest challenge in transitioning from your managed services role, leading agencies to building a product company? You know, it's, it's a very different mindset. You know, the, the skills, a lot of ways overlap in this industry. I mean, I've worked in digital, you know, politics and digital kind of advocacy for, you know, 15 plus years. So that skill set sort of translates that background. But, you know, with an, with an agency, you know, your clients are in a lot of ways kind of siloed. Each client has their own issues. You know, the techniques and talent, I mean, you, you bring them to bear, but it's very sort of siloed. You go with, here's a solution for you and here's a solution for this other client. And with a software product like Speakfor, you know the the pro- all of your clients and partners are affected by the product. And when you make changes, they're all sort of impacted. If you update the product, all your clients touch it. And and thinking about that and, and sort of having a, a kind of disciplined approach to how you think about the product, uh, you know, is 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 a mind sh- mindset shift. I think, uh, you know, and. It can it can kind of come to bite you, uh, you know. There was a, there was a, pro, a feature that we 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 got some feedback. Someone was like, "Hey, I really would like the the the, the product to do X," and we thought, "Okay, that makes sense." And so we you know we pushed a, an update. It wasn't a huge one, but we pushed a small update. And then like a week or two later, another you know user on our platform popped up and was like, "Hey, I saw you added this, and this messed with my campaign in such and such a way." And it's like, "Oh wait, yikes! Yeah. We pushed an update." that we thought was going to help everyone and it helped some people, but it caused, you know, challenges for others. And, you know, it, it, it was like a light bulb moment for me. It was like, Oh yeah, no, no doubt. Like you got to think a little bit more kind of seriously about these updates and, and try and really understand how that's going to impact the platform for all of your users. You're listening to the Business of Politics show. I'm speaking with Joe Mansour, founder and CEO of Speak4. We're talking about advocacy and how to use technology to make your advocates more effective. Joe, I think you've got some really good insights here from both running these campaigns and, and building a product. I'm curious to hear just kind of your overall sense of what do groups, corporations need to do to shape public policy today? One, I'm a big believer from a kind of communications and an advocacy standpoint of an all of the above strategy. And I typically do not recommend to the clients that, that I work with, you know, only do this one thing and that's going to sort of be a silver bullet, you know, whether that's, you know, a really smart sort of intel gathering operation, lobbying, 
grassroots engagement, earned media, digital, what you know, using speak for you know, advertising, both to drive people to take action, grassroots activation and persuade and educate grassroots engagement in, in the media, all of it, you know, I think together in general, I kind of follow the, the dictum more is more. Right. The the challenge is to integrate these different pieces together, have them work in sync so that they're not isolated, either not supporting one another or working at cross purposes. You know, and so, you know, whether that's sort of an integrated data sharing between different tools, integrated strategy and goals, it's that integration, knowledge sharing, data sharing, and sort of strategic alignment that is is sort of vital to success. Um, and I mean, that's a big focus for us. And I mean, I think that's where my sort of consulting background has informed how we think about what we do with Speak For. You know, we put a lot of emphasis on like onboarding new you know, new clients onto our tool. And when we sit down with them, we understand, okay, tell us about your, your, your strategy for this campaign that you're running. What are your goals? Let's make sure we're making the best recommendations from a tech tool standpoint so that the software helps you drive towards those goals and, you know, sort of integrates with your larger strategy. Um, but that, but that is, you know, in a nutshell, how I think about it. Yeah, I think that's that's really the key. Anyone who is trying to shape public policy or even public debate today, it has to be flooding the zone with every possible channel and platform you can be on. There is no one way to do it because attention spans are so fragmented and and people are Absolutely. consuming information all over. Yes. And you know, this is and this is advertising one oh one, but the repetition. Right. The message repetition, the reinforcement. And and I'm a big believer as well in, you know, hearing it from different sources, different channels. I think that that elevates that that impact of that as opposed to oh, I only saw this on Twitter versus, you know, I heard it from my neighbor, I saw it online, I read it in the paper, you know, then it I think it really it, it has a magnified impact. So, Joe, when I'm talking to folks in the issue advocacy space, maybe they work at a trade association or a, a nonprofit or something like that, they have a really hard time figuring out what they should pay attention to, right? Because I think going back to my days working on the Hill, volume was really the only signal we had of, you know, calls were higher today and this is generally what they were about that doesn't really speak a lot to to kind of impact. So I'm curious to hear, you know, what are the signals that you look at that you can see through Speak For that that really indicate that something is hitting? So the first metric is are we are we driving engagement through the platform to the targets of a campaign? So our message is going to lawmakers, is there that value? So that I think that's always sort of step one and we look at what the analytics within our platform, we look at, you know, website traffic and, you know, we see a red flag, for example, if someone's driving a lot of traffic to a landing page, but they're not converting. And that says, you know, either there's something wrong with, you know, advertising or creative or maybe copy or language on a landing page. And, you know, that then we reach out to them and say, Hey, you know, you know, let's, let's jump on a call and kind of help you troubleshoot that. So, you know, one is the flow. Then two is, I think Eric, you're starting to allude to is the quality of the activism, the quality of the engagement. And so that's where we love to see like people submitting video testimonials using storyteller mode, which is a tool that lets people sort of collect and share video testimonials in addition that's to a, that's messages. a new feature that you guys just put out, right? Yep, correct. 
uh, and and uh, you know pretty powerful that that again gets that higher quality type of activism. And then related to that, right, is this idea of what we call advocate lifetime value hmm. and measuring if folks are taking multiple actions either on this campaign or over the course of their engagement with your organization and starting to see, hey, what is the value in sort of the, you know, how do we build a more engaged core group of activists who are going to engage and take take more action with us? And so, you know, one of the things we're rolling out in September is an advanced reporting tool tool set on our platform that's going to make it easier for folks to kind of dig into those sorts of metrics and, and better understand what we we're just talking about. So the Center for Campaign Innovation is out with a new case study that you collaborated with them on that that looks at how one of your uh, users, the Common Sense Club, a, a 501c4 nonprofit, used uh, Speak For for an advocacy campaign and ended up seeing n- not only driving the actions that they wanted to, to lawmakers, but they saw an increase in donations. Why do you think those two items were were correlated? Well, I think it takes it takes advantage of the upsell concept that has been commonly applied in politics, particularly political fundraising, but I hadn't seen really leveraged in advocacy. And so, you know, once someone takes action, you know, they're often much more likely to take another action. And with, with this, with this uh, case study, we saw, hey, once someone sent a message to their lawmakers on an issue they cared about, they were, they're bought in, they're sort of invested, and they were much more likely to then donate to, to the organization um, than if they had just been asked directly you know, for, for a hard-ass solicitation. And that, that concept of the upsell, which is not new. We're not the first people to discover that. It's been around for a while. But for some reason, I just think a lot of legacy vendors in this space are just not taking advantage of it in their software offerings. Um, I think that's what powers that. And that's, by the way, the same sort of concept that we leverage with storyteller mode, where once you take action, you're then asked to submit a video testimonial. We tested it when you tried the other way. It typically doesn't work. People are like, whoa, wait a minute. This is awkward. Buy me dinner first. Right. Yeah. It's, it's that engagement ladder that we've, we've always been talking about. And I think one of the, the really interesting things that's happening here is, is of course we are having kind of a industry wide conversation about donors and, and how do we treat them? How do we get more um, donors to give? And I think, Platforms like Speak for one of you know is one of the answers, right? Because people want to do more meaningful stuff than donate, and and this is a really straightforward, pretty lightweight for the advocate way of of making a difference. And 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 to your point, doing that initial action that then then yields something more substantive. Absolutely. And, you know, you can treat it as a list building exercise as well. Right. Uh, we, you know, collect supporter data or leverage your existing list uh, to, to then, you know, engage them further, but a hundred percent. One thing that I've noticed recently is that, you know, campaigns 
whether that's for a, a candidate or an issue, are most successful when they align with a community and a cause, right? So if you are an organization trying to push a message, you're swimming upstream. But when an organization can provide, let's call it scaffolding or structure or foundation to a grassroots movement, that's when you see these really powerful effects. And, and I think, you know, what we saw in this case study is that that speak for is, is one way to do that because you had this organization meeting the moment where parents were upset with what they were seeing in schools and, and it provided a, an outlet for them to be more effective than if they were just all doing it on their own. Absolutely. You know, I think there's a phrase in consulting, you know, fish where the fish are, right. you know, go, go, go where people are um, much easier. I totally agree. So Joe, uh, is there another startup in this space that you considered building before uh, going with speak for? Well, so honestly, I, I had, I, I actually went through the exercise pile paperwork, but I started a, a startup uh, company that was going to do an advocacy tool back in 2014. So I oh, guess wow. that's what, eight, eight years ago. We never launched, you know, didn't kind of, wasn't able to get a team together to be able to build the tool that we wanted to build and, you know, decided to, you know, do other things, but had the idea. And I've always been fascinated with, with advocacy and advocacy tech, but the timing wasn't right. And it was right when we came time to, to start working on speak for, I mean, the situation was different. It was in the heart of COVID as everyone was a hundred percent relying on digital tools to, to engage their legislators. You know, they couldn't do in-person meetings. And frankly, my ability as a founder to, to build a team and sort of lead eight years is a long time to hopefully get a little bit smarter. <laughs> right. uh, so, so yeah, that, I guess that was, um, had to fail a little bit before you could start to succeed. Well, I think that's a really good lesson for, for all of our potential and aspiring founders listening. Uh, I want to say thank you so much to Joe Mansour for a great conversation today. You can learn more about him and speak for in our show notes. If this episode made you a little bit smarter or gave you something new to think about, all we ask is that you share it with a friend or colleague and you'll look smarter in the process. Remember to subscribe to the Business of Politics show wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also sign up for email updates on our website at businessofpoliticspodcast.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.